0: Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Competitive Enablement Show. I'm your host Adam McQueen. And in today's episode, I was joined by Maggie Coleman, the Product Marketing Manager at Clary and Ryan Sexauer, the Revenue Enablement Manager at Clary. And I was also joined by Clue's very own Sophie Baker on the success team. This episode was actually a really fun one because we got to dive into the relationship between Competitive Intelligence and Revenue Enablement at a high growth company. Although Maggie is the sole owner of the competitive program, there's a lot of lessons to be learned by how she worked alongside Ryan to ensure that competitive content was not only getting in the hands of the sales team, but it was actually supporting them where they needed help the most. Maggie also shares some of the main pains that she's faced as a team of one and what she called the ad hoc and reactive stages. And we also got a look at what she did to create a real competitive culture at Clary. With that said, let's get into today's episode. All right, today we are doing our first ever episode with multiple guests, and I'm joined by two of our friends from Clary. We've got Maggie Coleman, who is the product marketing manager at Clary, and we're also joined by Ryan Sexauer, who is the company's revenue enablement manager. We're also joined by Clue's very own Sophie Baker, who's a lead on the customer success team. Thanks for joining me, everyone.
1: Thanks for letting me sneak in here, Adam.
0: (laughs) I couldn't leave you out, Sophie. All right, we'll get into the partnership between competitive and revenue enablement shortly, but first off, Maggie, what were the biggest pains you were facing as a competitive team of one at this high growth company?
2: Yeah, so Competitive is one of a few different responsibilities I have at Clary. So a lot of the um, pain point was opportunity costs. And like every extra minute I'm spending on competitive, I'm not spending on other strategic initiatives. And it was a lot of time spent trying to um, track down information about, you know, maybe ankle biter type competitors um, and things would fall through the cracks really easily. We have a number of, um, you know, very direct competitors, but then we also have a lot of sort of auxiliary competitors that are in the space that maybe can copy one or two things that we do, but not the full product. And it was a lot of ad hoc requests around those smaller competitors that were taking up a lot of my time um, and just tracking down all of that information and trying to, you know, keep track of it all. There was no single source of truth um, really. We had a couple different, you know, docs going on and there was a number of different places you could find information. So really it came down to the amount of time it was taking. Um, just and not having a single source of truth for all of our competitive information
0: how how did that kind of take a toll on in your role in terms of like being effective like you said there's like this is one of many things you're doing does it sort of I I, I'd sense if it was like that kind of not disorganized but it's all 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 over the place it'd be really hard to be effective and actually satisfying that part of your job right
2: Yes. It was very hard to be effective in that I was trying to update multiple things. Sometimes I forgot a specific document where some things were, and I would get a lot of asks about it. So I'd have to, you know, go in and update things. Um, And I think really it was people didn't know where to go for the information because a lot of it did exist. um, But we would get a lot of requests um, made to me and others on the, you know, that work in the competitive team with me um, around what you know, where things were asking questions that were, we had clearly answered somewhere else. They just didn't know, know where to go to find that information.
0: And then R- Ryan, from from your end, what did competitive content look like for, for the end users, like specifically salespeople?
3: Yeah, where do we begin? Uh, <laughs> sprawl is a word that comes to mind. So, you know, before we came up with this solution that we ended up implementing, uh, competitive information really just didn't have a centralized home for the end user. And that really just means that it was living in a bunch of kind of different siloed systems, right? So uh, just to name a few, right? We had our content management system where we're storing a lot of you know, internal and external assets. It's a good place to go look up battle cards that we had created. There was our messaging platform where people are constantly exchanging ideas, questions, thoughts, files. And that was just living there. Uh, And then, you know, beyond that, a lot of information was just living in other different wikis that we have internally um, in our file storage systems, and none of this is connected. And so it was just creating a lot of confusion for the end user. And that also begged the question of content integrity. What was up to date? And that's a question that we constantly were getting asked. And uh, even for ourselves, we didn't feel very confident giving answers
0: there. Yeah, I think that can be one of from Sophie. I, I'm sure you can attest to this. That idea of that skepticism that comes in, especially from sales. Like again, I, I think I've said this a couple of times. Is one of the one of my first calls I had when I joined Clue was uh, the uh, someone who was in charge of the competitive program said that sales are the best BS detectors in the company. They can sense mm-hmm. if something isn't passing the sniff test, and that that part where you're saying I don't know if this content is is going to work or if it's correct can be can make or break the program from the get-go
1: I was just gonna add, add to what you said there Adam in terms of I think it's also just it's that importance of getting that trust from the get-go and it's I've worked with so many programs too where the, the trust is lost so you're actually having to build that back up because how do we know if it's If it's you know been updated, when it was updated, who said it, who shared it, and all those kinds of things. So it's it's just so, so important as a whole.
0: Maggie, coming back to you in terms of the competitive landscape, I think you mentioned uh early about kind of ankle biters. Did you have a good grasp on what the competitive landscape looked like? Did you know who like the main players were and you just needed more info on them? Or was it just like as you're a high growth company and you're in a pretty competitive market, there's just like new, new competitors emerging and popping up out of nowhere.
2: Yeah. I think we, we had a list of, you know, competitors that existed out there and they were, you know, we had differing amounts of information in, you know, Google doc basically. Um, so one of the first things we did early on when I took over the program is we tiered the list So we have, you know, tier one competitors, tier two and tier three and they get a differing amount of my time and focus, and we'll put a lot more behind the tier one competitors maybe than we do the tier three, where we might just have a couple differentiation points and like a quick rebuttal for our um, you know revenue, you know, rev dev team who's doing the, um, you know, the cold calling and stuff like that to use if they come up against these, you know, these guys in a, in a call. And I think that one of the, one of the main things that we needed to better understand is sort of for these smaller companies that were coming in, who was an actual threat? Who could we sort of ignore? Um, you know, How much should we want to enable the team on? And who did the team need more enablement on? Because even though our tier ones are the most important, um, the, co- the company probably already knows a lot about them. So maybe we do a little bit less of the enablement there and more so on some of our up and coming competitors. And things like that. So it was a little bit of a, a mix in that we, we had a pretty good grasp of who was out there, but we needed more help understanding, um, you know, which new players were popping up, getting all the sales, the field intel from the sales team into one centralized location so that we were tracking them all consistently. Um, and just, you know, we wanted to make sure that we were, we were give, having all this information in one place so that it was easy for the sales team to look up whether they're looking up, you know, a tier one competitor that we see all the time, or if they were looking up a very small, um, you know, one-off competitor that they're only going to see once or twice in their, you know, a year at, you know, a Clary.
0: I'm curious on that tiering your competitors. How do you go about doing that? Like how, what's like the criteria almost that sets if this person's in tier one or sorry, this company is in tier one of your competitors tier two. Is it like how many deals they're popping up in? Is it like the size of the deals or like how your win rate is against that competitor? Like how do you kind of measure those out and segment them, I guess?
2: So I think for us, it really comes down to the amount of overlap they have with our product. So are we competing with them as a platform or as an individual piece of our product? And then how often we're seeing them. So frequency and deals. Um, We haven't actually looked at we do have a good understanding of who we compete against in enterprise versus commercial. But as you know, you know there could be, you know, a hundred deals in commercial. You know, a quarter there could be only five in enterprise or whatever it is. So they could have similar amounts of money behind them. For us, it was more about um, you know how frequently they were popping up in deals. So how often was the sales team actually engaging with them? And then also, um, you know, how much of our product did they actually um, compete with directly? So that's sort of how we've been doing it. That might change over time. We've just started asking for the sales team's perceptions because if they're seeing it as like a heavy compete all the time, we probably need to put more resources behind that competitor, regardless of whether, um, you know, we're winning or losing. If they're feeling the pain more, we want to make sure that we make these competes as easy and, um, you know, make us as competitive as possible with them.
0: So it's, yeah, it's like almost like an ongoing feedback loop, right? I mean, that's one of the key things with competitive is not just kind of set it and forget it. Like this is living and constantly iterating, especially when you're in a competitive market, like you're in, right. In in terms of like, I, you, you, you've kind of touched on this here a bit about like what you wanted to improve with the program in terms of like centralizing Intel. Was there anything else you wanted to like accomplish with the program, maybe like strategically or how you wanted to improve how it functioned beyond it just being like centralized?
2: I think we were trying to move on the continuum from being reactive to more proactive is one of our main goals with the program. And also just making sure that we we are staying on top of some of those littler competitors that we see in that they could be small now or only in a couple of deals. But as we're growing um, you know, in different markets, in different um, geographies, et cetera, we're going to see different competitors and they're going to be you know more competitive maybe in a different vertical or geography than they might be against our core. You know ICP, in you know where we are right now. Um, for instance, we moved one competitor from tier three to tier two, and they might even move up to tier one um, just because we, we're getting bigger in Europe um, and they're you know European based companies. So while we were small in Europe, they weren't in a ton of deals. But as we're growing, um, you know they're going to grow in importance to us also because we're going to see them in more and more of our of our deals. And I think we'll see that as we continue to grow you know, both in new verticals and also in, you know, in the world.
0: So that, that's interesting. So you almost have like this, a better pulse on kind of the broader market too. So you can sense when something like, like you mentioned there in like the EMEA market there, that some, someone's emerging, actually becoming like a realistic threat. Like you, like you were saying before, I, I, I want to ask you actually as well, when you talked about reactive to proactive, that, that's really interesting to me. What, what does that mean exactly in terms of being reactive? And now you mentioned that you're kind of getting to the point where you're able to shift towards proactive initiatives. What are those initiatives that, that you're talking about?
2: So well, I think previously we were really reliant because I just didn't have enough time on the team coming to me if they had any new competitors and things like that. And now we're able to see a little bit more easily, you know, who's coming into the space. um, If someone has made a big, uh, you know, investment in a different part of their product, you know, if they've launched something new, being able to see that earlier on um, and sort of get a grasp of what they're doing allows us to more proactively provide the team with the information they need as opposed to waiting to them for them to come to us and be like, what do you know about, you know, Revenue operations in this, you know, at this company or something like that. So we're, we're able to really give them the information they need and provide them with some of the insights so that they're not, they're not caught off guard, you know, in their sales calls, basically.
0: And I, I, sorry, I kind of went down that, that path here. I I wanted to kind of get back to as well, launching the program, getting that early support. Um, Sophie. From your perspective, you've seen a lot of people in charge of competitive at their companies. And I'm sure the difficulties that Ryan's mentioned here, Maggie's mentioned, like you've heard these, these are common Mm -hmm. areas of pain. What has made what Maggie and Ryan has done unique in terms of how they've gone about solving this problem?
1: Well, to start with, I mean, I think a lot of what's been shared so far is probably showcasing why as a CSM, I was very excited when I got to work with both Maggie and Ryan and a lot of what they were sharing from the get-go was music to my ears from a enablement perspective and a strategic perspective and so I think one of the key things that stands out before we even look at the problem the solving the problem it was actually their deep understanding of what the problems were where the challenges lay and then being able to speak to the rest of the company. So when, you know, we started working together and looking at how we're gonna build out a program, there was a lot of clarity on where were the gaps and where we wanted to take the program. And and that had a huge impact on how we were able to work together and then create a game plan. Key pieces for me were how strategically Ryan and Maggie worked together. So from the sales enablement perspective and product uh, marketing, it, it's huge because these two, and we have spoken about this, uh, the three of us, it's how do we bridge that gap and make sure that we're getting the right information, getting it out there and ensuring that the sales teams make sure, they feel that that's impactful for them. And so that was that was really supportive. I mean, even having Ryan join in on many of Maggie and I's calls when we're talking just about strategy and content, Ryan would hop in there just to be aware of what's going on and then be able to provide a, a different point of view or at least a perspective so that the sales voice was in there as well. And then also help to work with the sales teams to get their feedback. So. It was a whole whole loop there, but the way in which that was done, um, like I said, it was it was pure competitive enablement magic, really. Um, and, and then the other piece I have to say is their openness to trying different things. And I, I think that speaks to the culture at, at Clary and then specifically to, to Maggie and Ryan. There was this preparation every time we met and this ability of like, let's get things done, but then What have you seen that works? And we got to work together on some really exciting projects by getting to do that.
0: Uh, This one is to Ryan or Maggie, whoever wants to take this question because Sophie says that you tried, you were willing to try new things. What were one of those new things that, or that you tested and were willing to experiment with? (laughs) It's a great question. And uh, it was great working with
3: Sophie in the deployment here, because how do you get, salespeople or the end users excited about a new tool, right? They already have so many in their workflow. So one is just the obvious stuff, right? Like, why are we bringing in this new solution? Um, what is it gonna do to change their day to day? But to make it more fun in the actual you know, enablement session, we ended up doing a scavenger hunt. And that was really fun. Um, you know, between this group, we ended up putting together a list of items to go after and that consisted of looking into a specific competitive battle card and pulling out a nugget, going outside of the solution into the web browser, you know, looking for different insights and pulling that into our solution. And it even required them to just take a screenshot of their little breakout group to have a celebration, reach the end photo. And by the end of it, we were able to collect all of the different scavenger lists, uh, tally up who did well and who may have missed a few points. And to basically let the sales team brag to each other about (laughs) who, who did well here. So that was pretty fun.
0: That's really cool. It's like the gamification of that is there's that you're tapping into the competitive nature of a salesperson, like you mentioned there. But then you're also familiarizing them with, okay, this is sort of the process that we want to establish. I think, like you mentioned, Maggie, in terms of being proactive, like, having like, this is our game plan. This is how you're going to operate on a day-to-day basis. If you come across competitive Intel, you're looking for competitive Intel and you kind of ingrained that in a natural or like organic way in, in those breakout teams. Was that all just sales people?
2: It was sales, um, a sales engineering team and then our rev dev team. Um, so like SDRs is, was there anyone else there? Ryan, I think that was, that was basically the group.
3: Yeah, just one group that got Sophie, which felt like a big, big bonus card.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I, I swear I didn't help them cheat. <laughs> <laughs> and, and on that note, you know, if I can just jump in, I think there was something so organic about the way the breakout rooms happened in that change management is hard. So Meg, you alluded to before everyone was coming to you, there was a million requests. There's, as you mentioned, Ryan, documents everywhere. And although that's craziness and can feel that way, there was somewhat of a process that that each salesperson would have had before implementing the program. And so there was a really natural um, shift by doing the breakout rooms and I could feel the energy I was glad I got It wasn't on purpose, but I got put in a room and I could feel the excitement and the eagerness to be able to be more effective and and get this information. And it felt like a really natural change management shift, which was really cool.
0: Maggie, in terms of uh, support, getting support for the program, and like you mentioned, there's this other process before where there's things everywhere, a lot of people coming to you. How do you get that early support from, from leadership? Was there was it a priority was it on their radar did they know competitive matters but and we don't have a process attached was it or was it like that they not that they didn't care but they didn't realize how how important it was and it came to light like what did that look like
2: i think competitive was becoming more and more important to us you know we're building a category and with that you see a lot of people entering that category or shifting their products to enter that category because they see it as valuable, um, which is great. It's proving our concept. It's proving that revenue operations is you know a thing that every company needs, which is awesome. So we actually look at com- competition as a good thing. Um, but at the same time, it was becoming more and more of a um, time commitment for me and others in the company to spend time, you know, making sure that everything was up to date and that we had a good grasp on who our competitors were and what they were doing. So we knew it was important Uh, But I think that what tipped us over the edge is the fact that we were seeing more and more people coming into the space. One of the main things that we did beyond just sales leadership to get the team engaged was actually bringing in a group of a cross-functional group of, um, you know, go-to-market team members as a way to sort of create buy-in within the organization and also prove out this as a concept of, of something that they really wanted and needed. They were all really impressed with just the general functionality that a competitive intelligence tool can provide versus what you know I was doing previously, um, and you know they were huge advocates for us within the sales force and a way for us to sort of push this out to them as well. Because it's one thing to get leadership on board, but it's you know a whole other ball game to actually get the go to market team to utilize a new tool that might be slightly outside of what they're used to doing.
0: Beyond um, beyond getting competitive content up to date and having it correct and easily accessible for reps from like a strategic standpoint what was the type of content that you needed to support them with that would like better equip them to win deals like what was something that you were targeting like once we get these primary needs satisfied i guess what was like the thing that you were looking for to really like level up your ability to help enable reps to win
2: i think Number one, it was a feedback loop between us and the sales team. You know, we had Slack, you know, a Slack channel for competitive, but things were locked there really easily. So we were looking for a way to get better feedback on the information that we were presenting through battle cards, as well as um, you know, share information out as it came without having to spam everyone in Slack every, you know, five minutes or whatever. Um, and I think the second main thing is actually a recommended deal approach by competitors. So You know, what should we be emphasizing in our, you know, executive demos? Um, What content do we recommend to use? Um, You know, what messaging is going to work best against this competitor versus another one? So beyond just like the general battle card information around like, you know, the traps we set, the traps they set, like we really wanted to have a very specific recommended approach um, to make the deal cycles even easier for, for our tier one competitors, at least.
0: The, uh, Ryan, the, the, the this like deal approach by competitor, how is that different to maybe some uh, competitive content you've seen that's been like given to salespeople in the past? Like, is that is that a noticeable difference in terms of like actually p- providing like actions on what you should do here?
3: It's a really good question, Adam. And I think the way we think about it is... Because, like Maggie said, we're able to be proactive and identify who, from our competitor base, should be a tier one versus tier two, et cetera. This allows us to put full force behind tier one competitors, right? So, like Maggie said, all the way from you know strengths versus weaknesses to trickle that down into messaging to here's the deck that you can use to position against the competitor in a head-to-head deal, uh, all the way down to like here's a one pager you can send out. Um, We're able to get our product team behind this. And so if there's a very complex deal, we can pull in the different subject matter experts to partner with account executives, with our sales engineers, and really take on this more tailored uh, deal war room approach, right? Versus before we felt like we were flying blind a little bit. So by the time we pulled in these SMEs to support a deal, we were playing catch up. And when you're playing catch up in a really strong head to head deal, you're probably two or three steps behind, right? So this has allowed us to flip the script and actually just get ahead of the competition in here by being in line with our messaging, in line with our resources, and then therefore through execution.
0: So Sophie, in a perfect world, we do have the competitive team or the product marketing team and the revenue enablement team working in tandem, but I don't think that that's always the case in in your experience, is that, is that true or, or not?
1: Adam, your hunch is correct.
0: <laughs> why, why, why is that? And sort of like, what, what's the um, partnership that you've seen between kind of Ryan and Maggie that allows them to be more successful in kind of launching and sustaining a competitive program?
1: I mean, the why is, varies, of course, per per company, but it's definitely a, a common thing that I've seen. Uh, and, and to speak to the analogy I, I used earlier of, of bridging the gap between revenue enablement teams and then product marketing. And I, I think culturally, just in general, within a lot of companies, there is that gap. There's sort of marketing doing their thing. Uh, I've seen it where sales is like, well, I'm not getting what I want and, and why, and they're not doing anything or vice versa. It, it, there's, there's a bit of challenge there sometimes. And so I think it, it comes down to a cultural thing. And a, back to the, I, I used the term openness before and openness to jive together. And in terms of Maggie and Ryan, I mean, it was just so obvious from the beginning, culturally, that's, that's how Clary functions. Um, and and it it starts way back with Maggie, you pointed out that it wasn't just as, as Maggie started on this journey of exploring how could a competitive enablement program look, it was like, okay, Ryan, you're my, my right-hand person. We're going to do this together because we both can see things from different perspectives and then bringing in that sales team, like Maggie said, to actually, see the different experiences and have them say, I like this. I don't like this. That's huge in making that, that shift. And then I think the, the other piece, um, is, is then just having that constant communication. So I've seen it where we'll talk about having sales enablement or other folks from sales involved early and they, they join, there's super exciting, and then I, I I just work with someone like Maggie for a couple months. And then it's like, oh, hey, we're gonna need you again. We're gonna go into working with the sales. But there's been this whole gap of time of things that have happened where there's so much opportunity to involve the revenue teams. And Ryan in this case is that, that beacon to make that happen. And then to be able to funnel that to Maggie. And then it gives Maggie, more um, visibility across the teams, So that worked really well from my perspective, alongside um, the final part where we actually shared the program and and have been continuing forward with that. I think there's just been this continuous back and forth and the whole concept of the feedback loop has really been reiterated, which has a huge impact. Uh,
0: Ryan and Maggie, how did you two get partnered up
1: I actually can't remember how it
2: happened. Maybe Ryan does. Um, Ryan has just been sort of my right hand man for all of the competitive things. Um, we have two amazing enablement, um, sales enablement team members, um, Ryan and Brent, and um, they're both fantastic. And Ryan, I guess, um, just happened to be, you know, the one that got the competitive stuff. But he's been such a fantastic partner through all of this, whether it be, you know, figuring out how to bring a, a tool into this to help me make things a little easier um, or just being a, you know, someone to bounce ideas off of about, you know, different parts of the program we're doing, whether it be win-loss interviews or, um, you know, deep dive sessions on some of our competitors. And he's just been a fantastic sounding board on, you know, how do we get this and make this the best it can be for the sales teams that they're paying attention. And it's not just background noise, um, but also in helping me, you know, figure out the best, the best way to sort of manage and run this program as we're, you know, continuing to make
1: it more and more um, mature. Just to jump in there. So Ryan, it was really obvious and helpful to get your perspective on what's worked previously for rolling out a program and what hasn't. And often that piece gets missed and there's so much knowledge from whether it be, you know, previous programs that have have been sent out or new tools that have been put in place and being able to weigh the, this worked, this didn't. And then that allowed me to work with you and go, okay, well, let's maybe tweak it this way, or I could provide a recommendation and Ryan or Maggie would go, "Mm, I don't think that would land as well here. Why don't we try this approach? And that synchronicity was really, really valuable as well.
0: Yeah. And I think bridging the gap you've mentioned, Sophie, is, is like a common, common, like the most important part of a, a competitive program working and, and Ryan, in your case, was it, in terms of bridging this gap, was it, has it always been like a, like a priority for you to think about the competitors when you're enabling your sales team? Like, has that always been kind of like your realm?
3: Yeah. So looking back kind of before this whole transformation, competitive was, I don't know if afterthought's the right word, but it was definitely a highly requested topic that never got enough attention. And it would always be like Maggie said, ad hoc. And it would come all the way up from the you know AVP level of sales down to specific reps. And so our, I think as Clary's scaled, we've you know, really focused on strategic alignment across the different cross-sections of the business. And we've taken it seriously, right? So one of the reasons I think we got paired up initially is because um, our VP of product marketing, who Maggie reports to, and our VP of growth that I report to, um, had some sort of a shared strategic goal for the year, which was to increase win rates and decrease the rate we're losing to specific competitors. Hence how we started forming, like Maggie said, through the data, our tier one, two, three, and this was the initiative that got us executive sponsorship. It was the what gave us ultimately budget down the road once we built a case for it, right? And so I think that top down alignment is the key for us to actually dedicate time to make a difference here.
0: Was there any skepticism from them in terms of like the content you were providing?
3: So skepticism came in the form of, I again, I don't know what materials new or up to date. And so because there wasn't enough noise being made across the org around competitive intelligence, I don't think there was a reason for salespeople who can sniff out BS, like you mentioned, Adam, uh, to really trust this stuff. Until Maggie and I started to form our partnership and we started doing these um, monthly or almost by, well, maybe a couple of months, these enablement sessions around our tier one competitors. And this was us just, you know, doing good old fashioned market research, leaning on our experts, leaning on reps who have won versus lost and putting together this framework to roll out enablement across the board on tier one. And once we got that program rolling and we gave the org heads up that we're doing it and we got some excitement around it and reps were involved in the process, that's where we got a ton of momentum which eventually allowed the phase two, which was to adopt software to help us
0: scale this program out. Okay. That's really interesting that like those, like, uh, what did you say? You said monthly sessions that you were doing for enablement on these tier one competitors.
3: Yeah. So about once a month, we would theme the month to the competitor. So we even had posters of us versus them all the way down to, you know, our guest stars who are basically our sales reps, sales engineers, people like that to jump on board. And we would just crank these out month after month after month.
0: Maggie, what, what did these look like? Like these, this sounds really, really interesting in terms of getting the sales the, again and in that initial support beyond just having the program. Like this really kind of seems unique in terms of presenting the competition to your reps.
2: Yeah, I think the number one thing they all had was a, a theme song to start them off. Uh, that was very important. Um, a lot of Rocky soundtrack, I think. But um, you know, honestly, they were just taking a subject matter expert within the field. A lot, we have one, for one or two for each of our tier one and even some of our tier two competitors um, and working with them on figuring out what we wanted to present. A lot of times it was a general company overview um, and then a little bit of a deep dive into the product of the competitor so that they just had a good idea of where they might, they might differ from us and where they might have um, you know, product that was attempting to do the same thing. I will not say that they did the same thing. Um, and then you know, really digging a little deeper into why we won and why we lost certain deals. So looking at sort of what, what went right and then also looking at you know, some traps to avoid in the future. So you know, took that recommended deal approach that we're you know, writing out within clue now, and presenting it from the point of view of a rep that has lived it um, you know, sort of day in and day out um, and really having the SMEs be the, the ones presenting this. So it wasn't them having to trust me, it was them trusting you know, this SE that's come up against this competitor you know, 100 times or you know, 10 times or whatever, whatever it may be as being the expert on what they should be you know, talking about.
0: That's a really cool way to kind of build that credibility, like the foundation of this credibility. W- one of the last questions I have as well, because this this like relationship between revenue enablement and and competitive is is unique how well is is functioning. Where does the role sort of begin and end when it comes to training and enabling reps against competitors, like? what, where, where do you, where does your expertise or like your roles lie on this Maggie and where do yours Ryan? Because I think that's something that people be really curious about.
2: So I'd say, you know, my role is as a general expert, you know, I know the, probably the most about all of our competitors overall, but we also have individual experts, you know, SMEs as we call them for each individual tier one and maybe tier two competitor. So they're digging much deeper, they probably know a lot more of, you know, about the product and, you know, whether individual features or functions, um, you know, what each competitor has in terms of the features and functions, whereas I'm much more focused on the value we're providing and where we differentiate in terms of that value. Um, And that's sort of what I'm I'm mainly focused on. You know, Ryan is, you know, I'll let him talk about what he does, but he is a great partner in helping me package that up as a way to, you know, get it out to the sales team.
3: Exactly. And in that partnership, I think where Maggie and I really do bridge that gap is when we sit down in a room together, we look at what our targets are around the competitive intelligence program, and then we start to build out the framework, right? And the more solid the framework is, the more strategic and dangerous we can become with our program. And that includes working backwards, right? So what's that objective for, let's just say like an enablement rollout and Who's the key player involved all the way from sponsorship down to the SMEs, down to me and Maggie, right? Kind of uh, herding the cats, so to speak. And I think um, once we put this, like the tent poles in place and give it shape, um, that's when Maggie and I are able to kind of go offline and do our work in parallel. And Maggie really does know a lot of knowledge and is an expert around what competitive intelligence should look like. Right. And so she's the one bringing in all the people who can arm us with content and context. And we just keep meeting up to make sure that the project is moving along nicely and and adjusting the framework, however need be to deliver and hit that target.
0: That's awesome. Are you both then like accountable to the targets for the competitive program?
2: I have it in my, you know, I don't even know what we're calling them. What do you say? KPIs, GMTs, whatever my goals are. um, Insert
0: acronym here.
2: Yes, exactly. Um, I don't, I don't, I'm not responsible for the win rate necessarily, um, but that is something that we do track. um, But I'm not sort of measured on that. Mine is a little bit more like, are we getting the information out there? Is it being used, et cetera? Um, Because so much goes into winning and losing a deal that it's, you know, be hard for them to be like, you're not getting a bonus because you didn't win, you know, X number. (laughs) Um, But yeah, we do, we do track a lot of metrics and um, they're
1: included in my, my goals every year. And if I could quickly add a little, a little bit of color, just from an outsider's perspective on everything that was just shared. (laughs) And it's, it all makes sense when you hear it from these different perspectives. And one of the things I have to say is I have not met two people who are busier and juggling so many things and and one of the key things um, when Maggie and I first connected and we had leadership on that call and we were discussing it and going, Maggie, we need like a hundred Maggie's really to get, like it's beyond what what Maggie was accomplishing and what I think is so unique and impressive in this scenario. And as you were describing, even having those focus groups um, prior to even getting this full program rolled out and just involving this means what it allowed you to do by recognizing hey this may sort of be a, a sort of side of the desk type role at the moment but it's it's getting much bigger than that and by talking about the fact that the one of the things we we've, we've sort of looked at as a team and and i i think has been a, a core focus is is efficiencies as well so it's how do we make sure maggie and ryan can be much more efficient, feel more efficient, uh, which is very important. And then in that be really strategic and then creating and supporting, creating content and then supporting sales from the right perspective with a strategy behind it. That starts with also ensuring there's efficiencies for, for Maggie, for example, who's got a million things on the go. And I know that was a, a big thing we talked about in the beginning was how do we make sure this, this flushes out in a way that's Supportive for sales, bridges the gap, and then, you know, we don't need a hundred Maggie's because that that would be lovely. But we, um, she can t- just stick to to being one person, and then that's nice. So,
0: so my takeaway is the more Maggie's, the merrier. <laughs> yeah, not- the more
2: Maggie's. <laughs> he me a lot. He already thinks that there's a lot of
1: Maggie going.
0: <laughs> uh, never enough.
1: <laughs> never enough
0: all right that was great uh i'm sure our listeners are really going to appreciate this and i appreciate you all taking the time today this is our first ever multi-person podcast i don't think we stepped on each other's toes too much we'll see it after editing <laughs> yeah but yeah, thank well, you
2: totally when you're editing you're like oh wow this is terrible actually we're
1: never doing that yeah again. <laughs> like, <laughs> why did sophie not stop talking
0: oh <laughs> uh, that's a future adam problem Thank you, everyone, for your time, and we'll catch everyone next week.
2: All right. Sounds good. Pleasure. Thank you.